Hello, my friends. Hello. Hi. Can you believe we are wrapping up another school year? I cannot believe it. I just want to thank all of our classroom teachers who work so hard every year and every day. We know we're a little late for teacher appreciation, but we appreciate you all year long. We love you. This episode is a tribute to all of our teachers out there who work hard to develop our students to be writers and thinkers who can engage in this world around us. We know that that is not an easy job, but it is so worthwhile. Jennifer Fletcher is a professor of English at Cal State Monterey. We first learned of her expertise through our ERWC colleagues who have studied her book, Teaching Arguments, Rhetorical Comprehension, Critique, and Response. In this episode, Fletcher speaks of the importance of studying rhetoric, teaching for transfer, and honoring student agency. We know this episode is really going to speak to our secondary ELA teachers, but encourage you all to take a listen and consider how you can more purposefully refine your reading and writing instruction. Our co-host Kate Jackson sat down with Fletcher following our annual Journey to College, Career, and Beyond conference this fall, so let's all take a listen. Hello, we're here with Jennifer Fletcher. Thanks so much for the invitation. Jennifer, I want to congratulate you on the publication of your newest book, Teaching Literature Rhetorically. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm grateful for a chance to talk about this work. Can you please describe your professional background and the work you do presently? I think I'm now in my 24th year as a teacher. About half of that time was as a high school English teacher, and now the other half has been in higher ed. So I'm currently a professor of English at Cal State Monterey Bay. Um, I work with first-year students in our integrated reading and writing classes. I teach summer bridge courses. And then I also work with upper division students who are planning to be high school English teachers. So I teach courses in literature, writing, and grammar, all the fun stuff. How has your experience as a high school teacher informed your experiences as a college professor? I think it's really important to keep the long view of learning in mind. Um, I think being a high school teacher is sometimes like um, only getting to read the second book in a trilogy. You you don't get the backstory and you don't get to find out how it ends. Um, but by making the transition myself from high school to college, um, I really felt like I kind of got to follow my students almost um, as they started their college journeys. And, you know, back in 2006 when I took the job at the university, I, you know, I was going around trying to get my parking permit and find the best place to get coffee and just seeing how important it is for students to have skills and mindsets that will help them negotiate those critical transitions um, really reframed my thinking toward um, a much kind of broader view of the educational journey. So what advice might you have for those teaching in high school, intermediate, and elementary classrooms right now? I think it's important not to worry too much about short-term goals. Um, You know, sometimes we kind of get caught up with worrying about tasks and assignments and grades and kind of forget where students are going to be carrying their learning and where they're going to be applying it. Understanding um, holistic intellectual growth, that full learning continuum from novice to expert, and, you know, really being able to see the big picture rather than just kind of one little slice of it. We're all teaching the same students, we're all in this together, and we're all trying to really help them, you know, thrive in life outside of school. So it's it's not just about kind of, you know, um, making sure that they've passed the vocabulary quiz. 
In the foreword of your book, uh, Teaching Arguments, Rhetorical Comprehension, Critique, and Response, Carol Jago, one of our uh, former guests and one of our mentors, uh, writes that you make a powerful case for the teaching of rhetoric as an essential thread in the fabric of every child's education. Why is the teaching of rhetoric essential for every child? I think this is really about honoring and nurturing students' agency, that that we really want our students to be independent learners, to be able to go into new situations that they haven't experienced before and feel like they've got the problem-solving strategies in order to be successful under a variety of changing circumstances. And, And this is what rhetorical knowledge helps students do, to kind of do that troubleshooting, to be adaptive, to be flexible, um, and to kind of not go in with a fixed mindset about um, the way things should be, but really more with kind of situational awareness and responsiveness about like how things are in that moment, and to really be able to kind of draw on their own resources and, you know, make their own choices based on things like genre and audience and purpose and occasion. And for our listeners who might not know what rhetoric is or what teaching rhetoric is, can you give us your definition of that? Yeah, I like to say rhetoric is the art of effective communication. Uh, Aristotle talks about rhetoric as being the ability to discover the best available means of persuasion in a given situation and that idea of like what's available like in that moment. It's not not like everything, but just what are the actual um, resources that you have on hand and for a very particular context. And so I think that's why you know, rhetorical thinking is, is really kind of the pathway to adaptable learning. As a rhetoric teacher, are you constantly looking at the world through rhetoric lenses? And I bring this up because in your book, you mentioned a sign at the Monterey Bay Aquarium bathroom where it says, even recycled towels started as trees. So please use as few as possible. And you mentioned one about the National Park Services going rogue in their Twitter accounts. As a rhetoric teacher, are you constantly looking at the world in those ways? I, I am, and it's almost a compulsion, or, or maybe hobby is a better word for it. And I always think this is one of the, the best compliments I can get from students when they come back and say, like, you know, I see, you know, I, I do a rhetorical analysis of everything now. Like, I can't just look at a poster. I can't just, like, you know, respond to um, a tweet. And so um, I am constantly collecting examples. You know, that's the way we show the, the particularities. Like, um, rhetoric is not about, like, really general, one-size-fits-all kinds of approaches to communication. It's really about, like, in this situation, at this moment, what works. And you need concrete examples to see that. In the introduction of your new book, Teaching Literature Rhetorically, you write, transfer of learning is a matter of educational equity. Can you describe for us what you mean by transfer of learning and why is it a matter of educational equity? So transfer is the act of repurposing learning in order to fit kind of new tasks and contexts. I think it's a matter of educational equity, not only empowering students and um, helping students to value all the resources and assets they carry with them, um, so very much that kind of strengths-based approach, but also because it pushes back against the status quo. I mean, if we're teaching for transfer, we're expecting the world to change. We're really trying to help students critically engage and maybe challenge the way things are right now. We're teaching for adaptability 
rather than compliance. And I, I think that's one of the most important things that we can do to empower students and, and to honor the power that they have. One of your chapters is titled Reading and Writing with Passion, and you state that the word passion was chosen strategically. What is your intent by using the word passion, and what do you specifically mean by reading and writing with passion? When I was writing this book, I kept telling myself, it's a literature book, so it, it needs to be good. And, and by good, I really, in my head, meant honest. It, it needed to have that kind of ground truth to it. We read literature because we are passionate, because this kind of writing moves us powerfully. Um, it should move us. Our students are reading a literary text and, you know, they're not emotionally engaged. You know, I, I think something's kind of gone wrong with the reading experience. We also know from some of the research on transfer that it's that emotional engagement that really makes learning stick. You know, when, when students are disconnected from the curriculum, when they're, when they're not feeling what the writer is feeling or, or what kind of other readers are feeling, you know, those are the kinds of experiences that are, you know, almost immediately kind of forgotten and discarded. And I have to say, honestly, I also wanted to push back on some of the more narrow implementations of the Common Core where kind of, you know, emotion and logic get split into different categories. And so we've, we've heard about kind of teaching argument, but not teaching persuasion or, or keeping pathos or emotional appeals out of arguments. And I, I think that that's a real problem. I think we do students a disservice if we teach them to distrust their own emotions or to distrust other people's emotions. You know, I think um, ignoring people's feelings is how we get into a lot of trouble in real-world communication. And I think it's also a problem with evidence-based reasoning because emotions are really important data points. And if, if you want to be an effective problem solver, you need to pay attention to all the available evidence in a situation, including how people feel. With so many changes occurring in 21st century education, what advice can you give to teachers or families to try tomorrow, to try this week, and to try this month? Maybe a first step is just to try to frame instruction for the big picture. So for, for teachers to think about where their students are going to be carrying their learning um, and where they can apply it. And, you know, rather than kind of setting instruction up where the message is, oh, we have to learn this because it's on the test or it's in the standards, to help students see that what they're learning um, is going to help them communicate effectively in different settings or is going to help them uh, problem solve. I think beyond that, that first kind of step of, of giving a bigger reason for what we're learning, maybe for next week, actually giving students like an opportunity to make some transfer choices to, you know, encourage students, hey, bring in what you've learned as a baseball player, bring in, you know, what you've learned from your family, um, you know, how can you kind of change that up for what you're doing in your English um, research project, for instance? Um, is there a personal story that you can tell? Or thinking about how they can carry what they're learning in their English classes over into another content area. You know, take that brainstorming strategy you learned for your English paper and use it for, you know, exploring design solutions for your computer class. And, and so, you know, those initial steps start to get students thinking about how they can make connections and how they can kind of leverage their prior learning and see beyond just like an immediate task or assignment the one month question, like what, what can we do that's going to take a little more time and thought, 
Um, I do think there's some really great reading out there on transfer of learning. I, I would strongly recommend uh, David Perkins' book, uh, Future Wise, Educating Our Children for a Changing World. Perkins talks about uh, going beyond in lots of ways, so beyond just kind of traditional disciplinary boundaries, beyond particular classes. Seeing transfer as something that doesn't just mean like you can use it again, but transfer as something that's actually kind of challenging to make happen because it does require that repurposing or remixing of previous skills. Um, You know, that takes kind of a little more time and thought, but um, I think the payoffs are really great because, you know, if we're, we're not teaching for transfer, it's hard to say that we're really having any kind of an impact on our students' lives. Well, thank you, Jennifer. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and we loved hearing you today at our conference. Hey, thank you so much. Wow, there was a lot in that episode. Transfer, rhetoric, agency. These are big topics that warrant additional conversations with our ELA teachers. Agreed. You can also learn more by reading and studying her books. I know this has been popular among some of our sites. You know, that's right. One of our high school teams just finished her newest book, Teaching Literature Rhetorically. Oh, I do love a book study. Well, ladies, that officially ends season three. Can you believe all that we have accomplished in these past three seasons? So much. Plus, you got me. Yes, yay. And as we begin planning for next season, we would love to hear from you. Tell us who do you want to hear from? What topics are you interested in? Give us ideas, people. Okay, let's calm down. Let's not scare anybody. But we do want your feedback. So please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter at CNUSD at chat. This episode was co-produced by Kate Jackson, Jenny Cordura, Anne-Marie Cortez, and me, Kim Kemmer. Our editor is Ken Pucci, and we appreciate all of his hard work and mad audio skills. And as always, we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Gigi, and I'm in seventh grade. If you would like to comment on their podcast, go to cnusd.k12.ca.us slash edchat. And be sure to follow them on Twitter and Facebook at CNUSD EdChat to let them know the topics you are interested in. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by leaving a five-star review. We greatly appreciate your support.